a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Veterans are who we are, what we talk about, who we fight for. This podcast sheds light on real issues facing our veterans. It informs the uninformed, it celebrates their triumphs, and provides hope to those fighting a silent battle. This is Upholding Valor. Welcome. I'm Jill Atwood, Director of Communications for the VA Rocky Mountain Region and your host for Upholding Valor. I'm joined by those directing the charge in the battle against the COVID-19 pandemic. Our VA healthcare workers are on the front lines of this pandemic, protecting veterans while trying to protect each other. The surge of sick patients seems inevitable. VA is creating ICU beds where there were none before. We are training, talking to, and then training again to ease the minds of those treating patients, putting mission before their own fears. Personal protective equipment is always an issue. Is there enough? This is all new, but together we will get through it because our veterans are counting on us. Joining me right now is Shella Stovall, Director of the VA Salt Lake City Healthcare System, and Dr. John Nord, Deputy Chief of Staff in Salt Lake City as well. Welcome, guys. I appreciate you sparing a few minutes. I know this is an anxious and a very busy time, and we don't know what each day is going to bring, correct? Right. Uh, Shella, I want to talk with you because uh, we're here and, and you're experiencing amazing things in terms of, of your employees and the preparations, um, you know, putting their fears aside because that's what we're here for, to take care of veterans. The big question on everybody's mind and really healthcare across this nation is, are we prepared? How are you feeling yeah. about everything? Well, thank you for that, Jill. I, I think we are very prepared. We started very early in preparation, and I think our staff have stepped up and risen to the occasion and really kind of set us apart from others because we started early, and I think we, we're we very prepared. Some might say that we're over-prepared. Mm-hmm. Some, undoubtedly, will think we haven't done enough. Um, but in my mind, I think we're ready mm-hmm. when that surge hits. We're expecting it to hit towards the end of the month. Um, but it's hard to tell what we're going to see. We just don't know. Um, we currently only have one veteran in the medical center that's COVID positive. Um, but, you know, it's just hard to know when you only have a little bit of data to look at. I want to go to that veteran real quickly, and then and then we'll pick up where we left off. Uh, how is that person doing on the scale of, you know, what you hear with, with COVID? You, ICU, you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So most of ours are quarantined at home and, and, and doing okay, correct? Yes, yes. 
and how is how is this person different and and what are we doing to make sure that person's okay well i think i'll let dr nord address that all right i like it thank you Yep, the patient is actually doing okay in the ICU right now. I can't give too many details. Sure. But the common things that you've probably heard about in terms of what happens to people with their lungs and their oxygen saturations and things like that are the same types of things we're seeing with our patient here. Okay. And so um, in terms of the staff caring for this particular veteran um how are they feeling how are they emotionally handling it are they feeling okay yeah so you know trying to deal with so much change is the hard part and we have had an enormous amount of change in the last three to four weeks getting new units running new teams put together that team dynamic is important to develop so you have a trust between people that you're caring for patients with And that is coming along quite well. We've got some experienced leaders in those positions and some experienced nurses taking care of these patients. And that really makes the team become a well-oiled machine with the psychological safety of being able to say, why are we doing it this way? Mm -hmm. Why don't we do it that way? And anybody who has an idea about how to be more safe or sees things that don't look right can have the ability to speak up in that team and don't feel threatened. Um, to share their voice and to keep everybody safe really is what it's about, doing the best we can with the situation and making sure that the team functions in a way that lets us provide the best care that we can is really what's what we've gotten to. And so I'll give you a little example of, of that in the tent, which is we went from trying to develop processes And now we're really getting to the point of process refinement. And as one of the leaders here, you feel a certain calm and reassurance when you get to the point where things aren't failing, but you're actually refining them and making them a little bit better every day. Mm -hmm. So I think what we've done up to this point is going to go a long way to to keep um, our patients and our teams feeling like we're doing the right thing. I'm assuming you're talking about the protocols and the processes for when someone is experiencing symptoms and, and comes to the tent. Can we right. can we talk about that a little bit? And I would imagine it's a, a ton of training and repetition and training again. That's right. So again, you got to get the team together and the team has to feel each other out and get on the same page. And once we start developing that sheet of music and everybody's playing the instruments in tune, that's where we get the the camaraderie and the focus and the improvement and the and the raising the game that, that you kind of, as veterans, remind you of when you were in the military and how things are focused and everybody's got a common purpose, and it's really great to see that here. So person comes to the gate with symptoms, right now we we'll have them proceed to the triage car screening line. What we do there is we get a set of vital signs and we talk to the patient um, with our PPE on and make sure they don't need more of an evaluation in a medical setting like in the tent or even in the ER. And so usual thing that could happen is a, a youngish patient will come with a fever and a cough. We'll talk to them. We'll figure out that their vital signs look okay even if they have a fever, and that we think they would be safe to go home and self-quarantine, and at that point we would swab them. From there on, we have a team of in primary care 
that will and it's basically a team that was again put together on the fly that will call that patient every day make sure they're doing okay and as soon as that covid test result comes back make sure they are aware of that result um if we need to if if the patient has some comorbidities or looks like we need to have them in the tent we'll bring them into the medical tent we are doing some limited interventions in there where we can do a little more of an investigation with lab work and a chest x-ray or an EKG, things like that, or maybe give somebody some fluids. And from there, we have seen several patients and sent them home from the tent. And in the case where the patient looks like they, they need to be admitted to the hospital or might have a little bit more of a significant problem that's not manageable in the tent, we'll either admit them to the hospital directly or send them into the ER to get more of a workup. Okay. And I'm going to brag a little bit here because um, I, le- I love VA. I, I work for VA. I have for more than a decade. I, I know we offer the best care. You guys know it. And, and we kind of led the charge on this. And shall I want you to speak to this in terms of this screening that literally it came down from your leadership that you had to throw together in a a day or so to make sure we were checking everybody at the gate. Talk to me about that. And I think we were first, weren't we? We were the very first. When Dr. Stone, our executive in charge in in VA central office, said that we needed to screen every single person that comes onto our campus, we thought, how are we going to do that? Yeah, how is that possible? We have so many entry points, but we pulled the team together. We looked at how we could make it happen. And by noon the next day, we were screening every single person. Now, that, you know, we had to make some adjustments as we saw, you know, gaps in the process. But early on, we started doing it. And I kept telling my boss, I just don't know how we're going to hold this level of, you know, pre screening. Mm -hmm. It just takes so many resources. But look at us now. We're 35 days into this, and it is smooth sailing on the pre-screening. The process was adjusted several times, and now it just is like natural and clockwork. It is smooth because I come in every morning, and I I never wait more than maybe a minute. I mean, they have it down to a science, and, and I think most of the staff appreciate the safety measures. What kind of feedback are you hearing from staff in terms of, of, of communication and, 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 and feeling safe? I know you hear different things, and I'm not talking the, the clinical side of things, because you have a lot of admin people mm-hmm. who aren't necessarily privy to what's happening on the front lines. They hear things. Um, how, do you, how do you make them feel safe and communicate with them? Well, one of the things that we have done is we've we've maximized our telework. So people that can actually do their jobs from home or working from home. Um, and, you know, we encourage them to remember the folks on the front line. You know, they, not everybody can work from home. Our clinicians, our nurses, our housekeeping staff, they have to be here and and work every day with our veterans. And they love doing that. Um and so some of our, our administrative staff, I think, feel a little disconnected. Sure. But you know what? We need them, too. And I know you're shifting people around as you yeah. need them as well, because some areas aren't as busy, and so they may have an opportunity to go somewhere where they might feel like they're needed a little bit more. Is that right? Yeah. And some of them are screening at the gate, um, stepping up, doing things they've never, ever done before. Mm-hmm. and. Quite frankly, I'm pretty proud of the people here. 
I am too. Listen, I'm I'm proud of Dr. Nord, his leadership on all this, and working with him has been pretty amazing. And he's not the only one. He's just here with me right now. And so, you know, I want to give him kudos because he's kind of led the charge at the tents and just been a huge factor in all this. But everyone else, I mean, the anxiety, the the fear, mm-hmm. you, you can't help but not feel it. Right. But, and when will it be normal again? Yeah. And what does normal look like? Well, I don't think we'll ever be the same. Right. I don't either. We've never done an incident command that's gone on 35 days. I mean, we've done disaster drills. Yeah. This is, you know, full force every single day. You know, we historical. Yeah, it really is. And um we've been trying to capture some of that and you know when you look at the faces of the people working on the front line, mm-hmm. you can see their concern. Um but like Dr. Nord was talking about, you know, we've got the ICU where we have one patient in there. Mm-hmm. But I think that gives such a great opportunity for us to make sure we're doing everything appropriately and correct course when needed um, so that we're ready when that surge hits. Yeah. And and we do believe it, it will hit in the next few weeks. Well, and that's why we're here today trying to document this and, and talk about it. So quickly, let's talk about the beds because you only had a few ICU beds and you know what we're calling negative pressure rooms which I don't know if we had any of those but talk about how we went from like zero to 60 uh, and and what we're doing with the beds and how many we have and and that that type of stuff John. Right so we have a phased plan that's that we are enacting so starting off we had a handful of ICU beds um, that could be negative pressure We've stepped up. We're trying to triple our ICU bed numbers that we started with. We're increasing our overall bed numbers by about 100. So a huge capacity in a very short period of time, and it was really due in large part to the team coming together to figure out what could be done and how could it be done and coming up with solutions that could be implemented quickly. And, you know, Looking at past pandemics or outbreaks, one thing that's super important to to capture is the speed with which you need to move. And I think we've hit that right, well, I think we've threaded that needle with the speed that we've done things um, and been able to, to get these things going, not just here, but probably across the whole VA system where we hear that people are increasing their bed capacity. And that to me is impressive. If you would have asked me, is that possible before we started this? I couldn't conceive that it would be possible to do what we're doing in the way that we're doing it. And right. so I'm glad to have so many people that, with the minds that can make this happen. So in terms of um, the negative pressure rooms and the ability to isolate people, as you know, when we have to do these procedures that are high-risk procedures like intubations... Um, that's where our staff are most at risk. And what I can't believe now is how much ability we have to mitigate that risk with the negative pressure isolation rooms that have been created that allow us to to keep the patient where they are and do that procedure in the safest way possible with the current CDC guidance on how to do it. Let's clarify what negative pressure is. It's when it's the air is being sucked out of the room. Right. Correct? So the pressure inside the 
patient's room is lower than the pressure outside the room, so the air is not blowing out of the room in a way that could potentially infect people outside of that patient room. So it gets sucked in through a filter. So you can imagine if you had a if you had a if you could measure the airflow or you had a little piece of tissue paper, instead of that little piece of tissue paper blowing out of the room, it would get sucked right up to the where the vent is, and then that air gets filtered and um and from there the that's where the safety comes in. So you either have a HEPA filter or it's getting vented to the outside somewhere where it's not going to pose a risk to people outside of that patient's room who might not have the full gear on that they would have on when they're in the room. Okay. So within our region, the the Rocky Mountain region, I believe we have 109 veterans at this point who are are positive for COVID. And that number, I think it was 99 the day before. So it, it keeps going up. Um, I know we're much better off than um, many areas of the country. Uh, can can either of you speak to the, the fourth mission? I mean, it's been thrown out there a lot. I know it's happening in New York where we would take care of, of, of non-veterans. I know we're not in that situation right now, but, but we could be, and, and I'm assuming we're prepared to do that. Yeah, if if our fourth mission is activated and, and that's at a higher level than us, then we would assist with community um, efforts. We are prepared to do that. That's not happened yet, but certainly if that happens, we would consider our resources and make sure every single one of our veterans are taken care of. And then if, after that, we would open ourselves up to the community. And I just wanted to mention something about, you know, the 107 veterans. Those are veterans that are getting care within the VA system. Exactly. We don't know the number of veterans that are out there, you know, potentially hospitalized in other community hospitals. Or, in, are, or in nursing homes. Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, for us, we've got seven veterans that are positive mm-hmm. um, in our you know, the, the ones that are enrolled in our system. Um, but we would love to know those out there um, in the community hospitals if there's a veteran there that, that maybe we can assist. So if anybody's listening and you have a veteran, let us know how we can help. And it is about sharing resources and communities coming together and VA nationwide coming together, which brings me to my last thought with the personal protective equipment uh, we have enough, but again, as you mentioned, Shella, we don't know what the, the future holds, and um, there's there's always ways to work it out or figure it out, as I'm finding but, out in VA, which is they're moving very quickly, and it's fluid. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because some people think that VA doesn't have enough supplies. Um, we are the largest integrated healthcare system in this country. And when we don't have enough in our facility, there are other facilities that can, you know, quickly send us those resources. So, you know, that's the beauty of the VA healthcare system is that we share in those resources when we can, and um, we can always get the supplies that we need. Currently, for us, we have what we need, but that could change. And it's important because we just don't know how things are going to play out. Um, that we preserve the resources that we have. So we are constantly educating our staff about which personal protective equipment they should be wearing and which in which situations. Um, and that's been, you know, a huge 
challenge because there's a variety of PPE. There's some that certainly doesn't protect um, yourself, but it protects the people that are around you. For example, we have uh, recently gone to universal masking, meaning that we expect our employees and our veterans that come onto campus to use face coverings of some sort. I mean, there's been even uh, education done on what that means. And what that means is that we're protecting each other um, and not protecting ourselves so much, but protecting each other. So administrative people that are here or when, when we're in groups, everyone is wearing a facial covering, you know. So mm-hmm. that's, that's new to us in the last few days. So it's evolving, um, but... It's it's been great, and the community has been so great in in donating Lots facial of coverings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, final thoughts, John. I, I'd want to kick in on that too because okay. I think it's important to know when we say we don't know, the reason is because that model changes. The reason the model changes is because we change. So, if we do nothing, we we run out of beds, ventilators, and PPE. If we do the maximum possible, we have enough for everybody. And so our, our, actually behave, our behavior is what dictates how that goes. And that's why it's so important for everybody to take personal responsibility um, for what they can do in their own situation to be safe and make sure that we're going to flatten this curve in a way that every time that University of Washington website gets updated, that curve is a little bit more pushed out and it's a little bit flatter. And that way we don't put patients and healthcare workers and everybody else in the community at risk um, if we get that curve below the area where we will have everything we need and won't run out. And so that's when we say we don't know, it's actually because of our own behavior change. This social distancing really works, and it is flattening the curve, and the models are changing, and that's a kudos to everything we're doing, not only as a healthcare system, but as a community to pull together and um, try and fight this thing. Listen yeah. to the doctor. You're mm-hmm. so right, Dr. Nord. So final thoughts. Take off your doctor hat. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I really feel so much camaraderie and a focused sense of purpose in a way that's the, not the usual business. I mean, we're always here to take care of patients and we're always here to help veterans out. But this is just bigger. It's it's a something that gives you a sense of something that's bigger than yourself, that you're a part of something that's historic and the things that you can do individually, whether you work on the front lines or as a support staff or whatever you're doing, you can make a difference in this thing. And that is a that is a strong motivator. And I think that for me, that is energizing me every day. I love it. Shella, can you top that? No. Oh my probably, goodness. So probably well said, not. John. So well said. Take but, off your director hat for a second. How are you doing? You've been running this ship for a really long time. You have to be tired. But like John said, probably invigorated as well. You know, all I can say is I feel this sense of pride when I look around me and, and see the amazing work that's going on here. And I am surrounded by so many great people. I always knew that, but when you have situations like this and see everybody coming together, I mean, it, it, it gives this renewed sense of, 
of, like John said, camaraderie. Um, and I think the thing that I'm struck by is all the amazing stories that I hear from our employees that we have no idea of the struggles that they're having with, with various things, child care, losing jobs, their spouses, losing their jobs. And I'm telling you, I have gone home and shed tears thinking about them. But it's just a great experience, really. Thanks, you two. Thanks for being here. Thanks for, for what you're doing. Can uh, I say one more so thing? We so appreciate it. Of course you can. Great. Because <laughs> Shella gave me a nice compliment earlier, and then I kind of got lost in the narrative. But I want to say thank you for that compliment, but it really isn't just reflective of me at all. It's reflective of all the people that have come together to help, and I'm just a person that's in a position that is in that is working with that. And so... I would be very remiss if I didn't thank everybody who's working hard at the VA to to help us fight this coronavirus, and I want to make sure everybody knows they have my gratitude before we sign off. Dr. John Nord, Shella Stovall, director, both from the VA Salt Lake City Healthcare System, thank you so much. Guys, I know you have to go back to work. And thanks for joining us today for Upholding Valor. Stay home, stay safe, take care of each other, and be kind. This is Jill Atwood. I am a VA employee, Army veteran, and veteran of Desert Storm, and this is personal to me. There is no greater mission than to serve and fight for those who fought for us. Thanks for listening, and thanks for caring. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe or rate us, or better yet, tell a vet and tell a friend to tune in by texting veterans to 57500 or go to ksl360.com slash veterans. VA is honored to serve you. Talk to you next time.